This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Lola Berry, welcome to Better Reading. Oh, I'm an official fan of your podcast. I've been <laughs> binging over the last day or two. Oh, I tell you what, that's a, a real compliment coming from you. Lola is a leading Australian nutritionist, yoga teacher, podcaster, and author of 11 books, including The Happy Cookbook, amongst other healthy cookbooks. I feel as though people like, oh, this isn't in the script, but I'm just going to say it. People like Lola don't sleep very much. You get so much done. Her latest book takes the same name as her podcast, Feel failing and she presents a guide to overcoming fear and failure to find personal happiness do you know now i don't know whether you know this but in our business in better reading there's a wonderful woman called jane tara that works for me and i call her woo woo because she's really into health and this and that and whatever and she's always trying to convince me of the value of the lola berries in the world right (laughs) and then when she does then i get addicted (laughs) i love it yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she always wins, I think, and she keeps me on my toes. So yet again, when she organised this podcast and I started looking through the book, I realised that my whole life has come about through failing oh, in a good way. Yeah, you grow, you learn, face your blind spots, skill up. I love failing. It's the best. Yeah. So talk to me about the book. So, yeah, the book, look, to be completely blatantly honest with you, I wasn't planning on writing again. Like I'd written health books and recipe cookbooks and yoga books and, you know, they'd done really well in the beginning but the last two hadn't done awesomely well in Australia and so I kind of had hung up my writing shoes, I thought, and my publisher reached out to me and said, so a new publisher, different to who I'd been with for many, many years. And can and I said, say we love those people at a firm. We love yeah, them. Yeah, they're awesome. Yeah, they've mm. been unreal. And they just think outside the box. I mm-hmm. love it. Uh, reach out to me and so say, we think you've got a book in you. And I was like, no, like I'm going to America with my green card. I don't know. And they're like, no, no, it's not a cookbook. And I was like, oh, that kind of sparked my interest. And they said more personal development, memoir style and and kind of based around your podcast. And I was like, oh, well, I love my podcast. And I know you know how addictive it is, podcasting. Just love it. Isn't it addictive? Love it. And I'm I'm a voracious listener. I listen to so many. By the time it's 9 a.m. in the morning, I've probably listened to two or three episodes of anything. Do you have a favourite yeah. genre? Politics. Really? US politics, yeah. Oh, US, yeah. Wow. Well, that <laughs> is, I've just got back from the US and I can, yeah. it's very polarising because people yep. are either in one camp or another. But, yeah, very, very cool. Anyway, back to you, back to yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about US politics for the next half hour. Um, yeah, so I don't know what I was saying. You go. Yes, you were talking about writing and then a firm asked you to write a memoir-style book. Yep. 
Yeah. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. But then I thought, oh, how cool that we could put like the podcast, I think, like my dream for the podcast is like that it does hit people. But also my ultimate dream is to be like Steve Colbert and host a talk show one day. And so that's why I think I love the pod so much. And then when the book opportunity came about, I was like, well, it kind of fits into the dream. Let's do it. And then I just started writing and yeah, I, I delivered last November and then there was like a big gap over Chrissy and New Year before, you know, the edits started kicking in and that's when I think like one thing I didn't realise until this book because it's such a personal book, you and your editor have got to be so close and shout out to Simon, my editor, he legend and would just knows my vernacular and for me I was like this has got to be so truthful this has got to connect absolutely Lola I talk because I talk to a lot of authors um and you know books that are, are fiction and non-fiction but mainly fiction and so many people don't want an editor to touch their book and I say to them the power of of a publisher behind you is you have all these people trying to make your book be better, trying to help you to succeed. Definitely. And I learned that lesson super early on. And I worked with um, Pam Mack for many years and they were also unreal to work with. But I remember seeing that first manuscript off and thinking, that's my little baby. Like, oh, I want to change this. I want to change that. And then when I started seeing that there's like 13 edits, (laughs) I was like, let go, Lola. You're going to have plenty more chances to look at it and it gives you time to get less attached to it as well so that you can look at it you know with a very clear lens and I would swear by having an editor because I don't believe I'm a natural writer I'm a talker (laughs) I'm not a natural writer though so talk to me about the book look it's just broken down into stuff I've learned through through my experience in life but it's kind of like broken down into like failure fear, success, heartbreak, grief. There's a toolkit section, which is stuff that I've tried like hypnotherapy and Reiki and really random things like crystal healing and what I thought worked, what I thought didn't work. It's just full personal experience. And then there's kind of like the G up where you get, you're like, all right, let's do the work. Let's get in there. But I think my favorite chapter is the chapter on human behavior, which is stuff that I've learned through six years of acting school. And I I just love the way that we're motivated to do certain things. And I love the way our brains are wired. And I think that is what's made me fall so in love with acting training. And so I was wrapped that I could bring that into a full chapter of the book. Mm. You know, um, just talking about failing, you know, got me thinking, and I'm a lot older than you. So I was thinking about my career and I, I've I've stayed in the industry forever, but I've done lots of jobs in the industry. So actually you could even take it back to, you know, I thought I wanted to be a primary school teacher and then I was in year two at uni and then I was at a prac and the woman that was marking me said, you don't like children. I said, I don't. No, I actually really dislike them en masse in a room. (laughs) And she said, I think I've got something for you to do. Why don't you go and work in the bookshop upstairs? Now, That is like, if you look back at that, that is failure. I didn't complete my degree. I didn't end up finishing it because I went to work in that bookshop and I found my feet. I found happiness. I love that job. And it is so, I think that if you have a fear of failure, you're just never going to get anywhere, are you? Totally. You've got to embrace it. Like, look at you. It like actually... I know this word gets totally overused at the moment, but like it pivoted you to then mean that you were focused on something that totally filled you up. And I talk a bit about purpose and being in line with that in the book. And I think 
if you're not doing what you love, something's going to feel not right and something will feel like it's missing. So, no, I'm a massive fan of it. I just think it's so, I fail. Or now that I've written the book, I'm aware of how often I fail. <laughs> like so, all the time, like in acting yeah. school, right before I flew from LA to here, I got feedback and I was like, oh my goodness, Lola, you completely missed the brief. Like you failed. But it forced me to get out of my comfort zone, learn, grow, and then put the scene up again in acting school and hit the brief. You know, I love constantly failing because it's to me it's just growth so people often say to me you know you're so lucky you do what you love as you just you know made reference to that and it's not that I've given up a lot of things to stay in what I've loved you know there were distractions you know in my career where I could have gone to make more money perhaps because you know this industry doesn't make you rich or there were opportunities where I could have followed love or whatever but I really decided to stay focused because I really felt that what I'm doing from nine to five is something that I love. And I felt that that was lucky. But again, it didn't come without the distractions, without, even though I've done the same thing, there's there've been plenty of roles. And even getting to the business of better reading, there were so many mistakes, so many distractions. And now I feel as though I've hit the jackpot. Mm, I love it. And I love that you're saying there are so many mistakes and distractions along the way. I don't think, I don't want people to think, oh, okay, I'm going to do what I love and everything's going to be peaches and cream. No, it's probably going to be harder than another career choice. It's probably going to be more challenging. It's going to be scarier. It's going Mm -hmm. to be you might feel really alone. You might feel really confronted. You might have to kind of face a few demons. Mm-hmm. And um, you, I feel for me as well, like something I've worked on building through failure is I've built heaps of resilience. So now I can take a hit and still stay on path. And mm-hmm. it sounds like you naturally innately were already doing that. But I noticed for me that used, a, a hit used to get me down. I'd have low self-worth and then I'd kind of like beat myself up. Whereas now I'm like a hit great. What can I learn? Like let's, or I'll dig into the trenches and I'll be like, that's just given me even more fire. Yeah. Do you know what I did once? And maybe you can call this stupid, but anyway, I managed to pull it off. I was in this job that I really hated. Yeah. I'd been there for three years, but I wanted to buy a house. And uh, so don't tell the bank this. And so (laughs) I stayed in the job to buy the house, which I did. I bought the house and then I resigned. I love it. As soon as I signed those settlement papers, I went in and resigned. But the fear was all-consuming because I kept thinking, what about if I can't buy the mortgage? I mean, it was the first time I'd signed up to a huge mortgage as well. But, you know, then I just thought, okay, well, how are you going to pay the mortgage now? Now, my sister said, oh, well, you can always move back home. And I thought, well, that's a motivator to find my own way. And I did. But things like that happen, don't they? I also find it funny when people say you can always move. I've had a lot of people say that to me too. So I currently am based in Byron, but like I also live half in America now. And I had a lot of fear. I spent a lot of money getting a lawyer to get my green card. And I said to someone that I thought was my friend, I was like, oh, I'm really scared I'll fail. What if I go over, my dream is to be a Steve Colbert, an amazing talk show host. What What if I don't succeed? And they're like, will you just come home? And I was like, I can't afford to think like that. Mm-mm. But a lot of people do think like that. And I think really succeeding and doing what you love takes like 
inner work, like you need to be the solid one because nobody's going to give it to you, I don't think. And I think sometimes you might be, appear a bit mad as well. Of course. Oh, <laughs> of course. That's a given, right? <laughs> That's part of it. Like, And for me as well, like I, there's a beautiful quote by a, an American author called, I think her name's Kelly Catrone, and she says, normal gets you nowhere. And I yes. like it. Like you want to be quirky. You want to be a misfit. You want to be a bit kooky. I think that's important. Yeah, no, I agree with Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Tell me where you grew up and tell me how you came to be where you are now. So I grew up in Melbourne, a uh, Melbourne girl, great, great fam, great childhood. Um, parents separated for, before prep, but in the coolest way. They're still besties today. My bro and I were like two birthdays, two Christmases, two Easter's. So we got a very lucky, positive um, divorce family experience growing up. Drama at school, all I cared about was drama. I was junior drama captain. I thought I was going to be the next Kate Blanchett. I went from school to um, Monash um, doing Bachelor of Performing Arts and a bit like what that when you were doing your second year placement, I think I was halfway through my degree. But I do remember the the owner of the whole, the person running the whole faculty of performing arts at Monash said, 98% of you are going to become drama teachers. And I was like, <gasps> dagger in my heart. I'm, I'm not maternal. So again, like the feeling of being a teacher, I'm not patient. I'm very aware of what my flaws are. And I was like, oh my goodness. And I immediately pulled out of school, pulled out of the degree. And my dad, so my dad is a vet and my mum is a nurse. They've both had science degrees. They've gone, you know, traditional, um, you know, academic studies and dad said, just promise me you'll get a degree one day. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. And became a DJ and makeup artist of all things. And, you know, just, I, I was just chasing that. And had day. a degree in that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Can't really get a degree in either of those things. And, but you know what, my DJ teacher and who, who I then later fell in love with and he became my boyfriend. Um, I watched his passion. He had mm. this passion for music and DJing and creating music. And so are there DJ teachers? Did you well, I just found one. I was like, I right. need to learn. Can you teach me? And he was like, yeah, okay. That's how oh, it wow. happened. But he had this passion and I didn't have it. I could feel I didn't have it. And I said, I want that. I want that passion that is within you. I want that within me. And then I started study. I just started reading about superfoods. And that's when I started going, oh, maybe I'm into nutrition, but I thought I was way too dumb to do a science degree. 
I was like, I'm going to fail. I did it anyway. I jumped in the deep end, went to, did a Bachelor of Health Science majoring in nutritional medicine, and I got 31% on my first chemistry exam. So I failed well. Um, but I got through the degree and I, I figured out pretty quickly that I didn't want to practice a bit like the drama school thing and a bit like you with teaching. I was like, I don't see myself in a clinic space. I really wanted to work in media and be like a Steve Owens character of, of health. And that's kind of how I started. I started in morning television and that's where the health and nutrition media world came for me. And so when did you get your first book published? I was 22 and... Well- I'd done morning TV segments. So I'd done my first morning TV segment on a show called 9am with David and Kim. Mm-hmm. Like I know a, it. Yeah, yeah, it channeled. So many people like, what? And I'm like, oh, kind of like Good Morning Australia. I don't know how else yeah. to describe it. And I went on and they wanted a young female just talk because I was us- I was putting up YouTube videos. I was putting mm-hmm. them up about health and they kind of wanted someone that was using the internet to spread a cool message. And then as soon as they called cut, They were like, can we sign you as our nutritionist? And my website broke because people were trying to buy a book that I hadn't written. (laughs) So I had a business partner at the time and he said, you better start writing a book. And so we actually started writing. Each week I'd go on TV and talk about a different thing like food for mood, food for sleep, food for detoxing. And he's like, make that a chapter of the book, Each, each kind of like segment idea. So I started writing a book. Uh, I got a little bit of investment money from a small Melbourne publisher and then the rest I threw in myself. And then that was where the first book came out. It was called Inspiring Ingredients. And even to this day, there's typos. The um, font on the front is my handwriting. Like it was all (laughs) my cousin shot it. Like it was very, I think the print run was like 3,000 or something like that. It was very small. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then it grew from there, you know. Because I guess too, health is a genre in a way like it really yeah totally isn't it sometimes I think it goes a bit too far and becomes a disorder do you think um, that happens oh definitely I mean my history I've got a history of eating disorders and orthorexia which is where you become really obsessed with what you eat and where orthorexia is really interesting because it's kind of comes under the guise of health but everything you eat has to be healthy and body dysmorphia these are all my like psychological part like my psychological I guess you wouldn't call them failures, but I guess they are because it's what led me to therapy and then I did the work on myself. But, yeah, look, when I started in the health world, it was just three of us. It was Sarah Wilson, Pete Evans and me. That was it. Mm-hmm. And and then it quickly got saturated and that's when I was, that's when I kind of started to hang up the author boots. I was like, well, there are so many other writers out there. We're all doing the same versions of these gluten-free pancakes. You know, we're writing the same thing. Hey, I want to ask you a question. So do you think your phobia started because you started writing about it or did it exist before then? My eating disorder stuff? Yeah. That, that all existed before. Yeah, no, did that it? was a coping. Is that what led before. you to be a nutritionist? No, it wasn't. And most people would say yes. But no, um, I had already started uh, using eating as a coping mechanism when I was much younger, like late teen years. And then... Um, Give me an example of that. Well, I guess in in its worst, I would fast on water for like 10 days. Oh, wow. And then binge. So then eat, consume anything, uh, family-sized box of chocolates, full bags of Dorito, like anything I could get my hands on, and then over-exercise as well. But that came later. So I basically had the telltale signs as a late teen, then started working, like then was very, very healthy and just really into health and no disordered eating. 
And then the book started rolling out and then I was working in media and people used to comment on me not being skinny enough. So mm. public would come up to me and go, oh, I saw mm. you on TV today. You shouldn't wear yellow. It makes you look pudgy. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, whoa. Mm. And so that's quite a young, as a 22-year-old, that's quite a young thing to hear. And that's when I definitely, the I, how I had placed pressure on myself working in media going, well, I need to look a certain way. And then it kind of reared its ugly head back again. And then it lasted until I saw a therapist. Yeah, wow. Yes, it's a very long process. And acting would be the same, I guess, that the, the pressure on, you know, I mean, I see so many actors now, particularly women that have had all that facial work. And I always say that it doesn't really make them look younger. It just makes them look like that they've had face work. And that whole thing around ageing, that we can't come to terms with it in a way, I think. Do you know what? I So I start, I came back into acting in my 30s. So I think much healthier relationship around food and I love my body. Like I've come to that phase of my life now. So I don't, acting hasn't triggered me at all. Thank but goodness. Ageism. Mm. Ageism is a thing. So how's this? I have just turned 36. I've been in America for the last five months studying acting full-time. And not one person asked me my age, not one person. People ask what your passion is in America. And I'm like, oh, I think I want to be a TV host, but I really want to be an actor too. And I really want to voice uh, animations on movies, you know, like, and they're like, cool, do it all. That's what an American will say to you. The second I got back to Australia and within the first day of being in hotel quarantine, the most common question I got asked is, are you coming back to have babies? Yeah, wow. So the age comes back into play because, oh, have you frozen your Like it's just really that I've never had that in America. And in acting school it's been brought up a little bit in Aussie acting schools, but I don't know, when I'm in America it doesn't even. Yeah, I I think I would agree with that Um, because I I travel to the US a lot and pre-COVID I was travelling to San Francisco a couple of times a year and I would tell people what I do, right, it's that tall poppy thing as well, I think. And, uh, you know, record podcast. Oh, yeah, you should you should contact George Clooney or something. And it's not, yeah. what? You know? Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's not good. But Americans think you can do anything. They're like, oh, you know, so-and-so's in town. You could can, can go contact him. Yeah. But when I'm back in Australia, people don't, they're not encouraging at all. Not I have the exact same experience with the podcast. I have tried because I obviously love acting. I've tried to get a lot of Australian actors on the podcast, you know, Home and Away stars and Neighbours stars, and they'll be, they either won't respond to me or say, oh, no, Channel 7 won't mm. approve it. I went to LA. I went and saw a stand-up show. I figured out the comedian was in this awesome TV show that I loved, a spin-off show of Sons of Anarchy, which is a massive American show, and I DM'd him expecting him not to respond or see the message. Within about two minutes he wrote, yeah, I'd love to do the podcast. I love Aussies. Mm-hmm. Came to my house, recorded the podcast, huge American act, like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It doesn't yes surprise people. me at all. Yeah, absolutely. I was once um, coming out of a restaurant and I saw a famous writer and, and his famous writer partner, and I said, oh, hi. <laughs> but they said hi back, you know. Oh, yeah. I said, look, you don't know me, blah, blah, blah. I run this business. And the next day I was over there, a place having tea. 
No. Yes, absolutely. Um, It's a different experience over there. It's what you're saying. It's the same thing. Here it's very different. You've really got to stay in your box and go through the proper channels. And, you know, even if you know someone, you have to go through their publicist. Most people say to me, why why the green card? And I say I've been wanting to be a TV host since I can remember and they hire the same people in Australia. I can't get a shoe in. And there'd be a list of 20 people that are higher up on that list than me. Mm -hmm. So. I'm not just. And they all look the same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I'm not just going to sit here and hope and wait, you know, no. like I'm going to go to where there's opportunity and where I can be seen and heard. Yeah. How did you get a green card? Oh, heaps of hard work. My yes. first one got rejected. I worked with a lawyer, creation lawyer. And the whole process because of COVID and having to fly during these times cost like $80,000 because needing to go over during COVID and flights are, were a bomb. And, and that's another thing. Like, so did you, so COVID obviously didn't hold you back. You had a plan and you were going to do it. Well, you get one green card in a lifetime. Yeah. So, and I already. Had you started that process pre-COVID? It took three years pre-COVID. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so yeah. I was meant to go over March at the beginning of COVID and then um, my flights were just all getting cancelled. Like I was just watching it all unfold like all of us were. And I said to my lawyer, what do we do? And he's like, uh, he's like, my advice is still get over there, get over there. Get and I said, look, everything's blowing up. And it looks really rough in America right now. And then he did some great work for me. He goes, I've got you a six-month extension until you need to be over there. And so because I got that six-month extension, I knew I didn't need to be over there till this year that mm-hmm. we're in now. But I, you know, I, I, and people are like, you're crazy. Why are you going to where there's so much COVID? But by the time I got there, everyone was vaccinated. Like vaccine was easy. And so I was smart. Like I didn't, I really wanted to go to Universal Studios and Harry Potter World and Disneyland. I didn't. I was like, I'd rather just play it safe. But, you know, I just, you gotta, you just gotta chase that dream, right? I wasn't going to lose a green card and then not get one again. Good for you. So you've got it now. I have got it. And you can come and go. Yeah, so hearts, 50% in America, 50% here. And why did you come back this time to promote the book? For the book, yeah. purely yeah. for the book. And, I look, when I had my fourth flight cancelled home and the flights were $25,000 economy, <gasps> one way home, I said to the Affirm boys, I was like, hey, I've had my th- third flight cancelled. What are the chances of pushing this book out to next year? And they said, Lola trains left the station mate like and you know the way the back end of the way books work it's pre-organized and I said give me 48 hours and I just worked with an amazing travel agent who who got me on I was on a postal service flight out of San Francisco wow there was 10 of us on the flight it was mental and that was just recently yeah this is I just got out of two weeks quarantine six days ago so yeah that had been the last and it was still that tough to get back very much so, very, very much so. Yeah, yeah. Talk to me about hotel quarantine for two weeks. There's a few hacks. I feel like I'm the queen of it now. Okay, so a friend of mine said, whatever you do, get a treadmill. So literally within an hour of being in that room, I booked my treadmill. I was very lucky my windows opened. So I was able to just pop my, they opened about three inches and I could just pop my head to the window and breathe in some fresh Sydney CBD air. (laughs) Lovely. (laughs) Um. And then my boyfriend sent me fairy lights and candles. And so at night time, as soon as the sun would go down, I would pop a Netflix show on, pop a movie on. And that was kind of like my guilt-free treat time where I would just like relax and then I'd work and 
work as hard as I could during the day and make sure I did 10,000 steps on that treadmill. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's mind over matter, isn't it, in that situation? Yeah. My brother's in the Navy and he's a clearance diver. Right. So literally he's, he's trained to dive to the bottom of the ocean and disarm bombs. That's like his, his skill set. And he called me and he goes, have you broken yet? And I said, no. Nah. I said, I get frustrated. I get annoyed. And he said, yeah, your resilience, this is a full mind game. It really is. But you've pulled through and you're here yeah. for guys today. That's well, congratulations fun. on the book, Lola. Um, it certainly has, um, I've learned a lot from reading it and so lovely chatting with you. And thank you so much for your time. I could chat to you all day long. I cannot wait to hear how your San Fran trip is. Keep me posted. Will do. Thank you, Lola. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of ebooks and e audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.